thank you for being amazing and such a wonderful counselor who understands us and sees us where we're at and understands who we are and, and knows all of our trials and temptations because you went through it. It's great to know that, that you understand us as humans because you yourself became human. Truly a wonder that a God would do that and the God of the universe did. Thank you for doing that. Bless us now as we come to your word. If there's any sin in our life, Lord, and we know there is, but sometimes it's hard to see. So expose it before our eyes so we can repent and understand that we have been forgiven completely. And we just need to run to you to remind us that we are forgiven. Bless us now as we come to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as we look at today's passage of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 5, we are going to see the great importance, again, that the gospel plays in our lives. We've got to remember that the gospel is our lifeline in this world that's so full of death. And I cannot repeat it enough to remember that the world that we live in doesn't want you to remember that. It wants you to forget the gospel. It doesn't want you to see the gospel as the power. It doesn't want you to see that this gospel is, is power. I can't, I can't emphasize that enough. This, this message of Christ conquering death and, and conquer, conquering sin is, is real. Because when you accept this message, it changes everything about you. It truly makes you free in this world. And, and the world hates that fact. It hates it because the more you express your freedom in Jesus, the more then Jesus is seen. And his message of grace is proclaimed and displayed to all, which the world doesn't want. Because when you admit your weakness, Christ's strength shines. When you admit that you are a sinner, Christ's grace shines brightly. So our title today is, What is Important in the Christian Life? What is important? What are, what are some important things? So we're going to look at our passage and see then how we can be encouraged to understand what's important, to trust our Savior more and more and live out our freedom that he provides. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, this is Paul speaking, I sent to learn about your faith. He sent Timothy. For fear that somehow the tempter attempted you and our labor would be in vain. Now there is so much packed in this one verse that I find remarkable. Okay, because this one verse reveals truly how amazing the gospel of grace is over us. And it reveals truly how amazing Jesus' accomplishments were for us by faith in him alone. Okay, so first thing. Here we see the main reason why Paul, or sending, uh, that, why he sent Timothy to the Thessalonians. He says it was to learn about your faith. Now that's significant. Because remember, Paul had a great love for these people. He had revealed to them that he sees them as his family, he spoke about being a parent to them in chapter 2. He says that he has a love for them like a father or like a mother for a child. His heart has been aching 
for them because he has not been able to be with them in their current difficult situation of being persecuted? And I point that out because let me ask you a question here. When you find out that your family member, for example, is going through a tough or rough time in life, that when you find out that life is just not working out for them, that, in some, that they're in some type of disastrous or life-threatening situation, what do we typically want to know first? I mean, generally, what we want to inquire is, how are they doing? Right? We want to know about their health. We want to know, are they doing okay physically? We want to know things like, how are they dealing with their circumstances? As in, their comforts, are they comfortable? What's their finances like? What's their emotional or mental stability? And which is well and good, right? There's nothing wrong with finding out that stuff, right? Because you love them. We want to see where we can help, and that's a good thing. But that is not what's, that was, that, that's not what Paul's main purpose in, was in sending Timothy to these people. He was not concerned about that at all during their persecution. Life-threatening persecution, relational stress persecution, job-losing persecution, against possible government persecution. And this, that, he was not concerned about all those things. This brings us to our first point then. What is important in the Christian life? The answer is simple. Keeping faith in Jesus. For Paul, his main concern was their faith. Do they believe in Jesus by faith alone? Do they trust in Christ? He was not concerned about their programs at church. How is that, how is that going for you? He wasn't concerned about their church numerical growth. He was not concerned about their financial situation as a church. No, he wanted to know one and one thing. And his great love for them drove him to ask the one question of utmost importance. Do they still believe in Jesus? So for Paul, his main value was not the physical welfare of those whom he loved in their most desperate hour, but their spiritual welfare. That was his value and concern. That's something to think about and to chew on. Paul's concern was, was not what they were doing for Jesus in, in the crisis of persecution, but what they were believing about Jesus when persecution came. What were they believing about what he did for them? See, Christianity is not primarily about transformation, but about believing in the one who provides that transformation. Paul, that, that is Paul's primary concern, and that should be our primary concern with ourselves and others. I often have to remind myself of this, for example, with my own kids. I have to ask myself this question of what do I ultimately value for my children? What do I find as priority? What is my ultimate concern for them? And it's easy to fall in such things as their happiness, 
their education, their social abilities. I want them to be great in sports or in hobbies or whatever they do. I want them to flourish in this life. I want them to have kids on their own. I want them to have great jobs. I want them to, have, to be a great spouse. I want them to be great neighbors. I want them to prosper in life. And I easily get sucked in into going great lengths, exposing or, or, or like bringing out tons of energy to ensure that that is happening with them. Because I want them to have a good life, not a hard life. But here's the thing so does the world. The world wants them to have a good life. And not just them. The world wants all of us to have a good life. And it will do whatever it takes to help you pursue that as the number one value in your life and in others, the good life. Even if you never get the good life, the world wants you to always say you need to pursue the good life for yourself and for others by saying you need to value a good life above everything else, because that is the most practical and most realistic thing that you can give to yourself and give to your family and give to your loved ones. That's the value, the good life. Yet, it will do this so that you do not prioritize Christ and faith in him with yourself and others above everything else. The world doesn't want you to go to great expense to prioritize, for example, your children's faith or your loved one's faith or your friend's faith or your acquaintance's faith or stranger's faith in Jesus. When, for example, pain hits your children, pain hits your family, pain hits your friends or whoever, do they trust in Jesus? Are they trusting in Jesus? Hey, you should look, at, look to Jesus. Are the phrases and the value that the world doesn't want you to prioritize with them or anyone for true comfort in this life? It does not want you to think pursuing faith in Jesus, in others, as being a practical way of helping or even a realistic way of helping truly anyone, of giving real help. But rather, it wants you to see faith in Christ as really kind of useless and a pointless way of helping people that maybe it'll help with their emotions, but it doesn't really help at life. It wants you to pursue the good life for people's comfort like material items, soothing words, money, entertainment, sports, whatever it is, to help them prosper or flourish at life. As long as you're not value, valuing and pointing them to trust in Jesus above all else. The world's okay with that. Now, does this mean you shouldn't care at all about, for example, material needs with people? That you shouldn't be concerned at all with people prospering in life when times get tough? Well, no. That's not what Paul is saying, nor what I'm saying. 
What I am saying and what we see is that we should not let anything become bigger than Jesus in others' lives as we go to help them and seek their welfare. Our first priority and really what we center everything on should be Christ in other believers and in non-believers. And as a consequence of inquiring about people's faith in Jesus and being frequent about it, guess what? When he is our focus and the one we're trying to get others to focus on by faith, whether they never had it or they're gonna, or they had it or whatever be, you know what happens? All those other things then come naturally. But they'll, they will come not, as, not at a loss of Christ, but they will come about for the glory of Christ in the very life that we are investing in. He will be known. He will be bigger of whatever it is you're helping them with because he's the center. He's the focus because that's your value in which everything else is used to show how of a great, much of a great value he is. Because we know that people's eternal destination is the big issue at hand. And that the current circumstance is only for a moment in comparison. So that is the question we have to ask ourselves. Are we honestly prioritizing people's faith in our life? Are we pursuing people to see that if they trust, that, that they're, are we pursuing people to see that are they trusting in Christ? No matter what happens in their life, are they trusting in Christ? Is that our value? Is that our priority? Or do we see the gospel as little consequence in their life and are more concerned about seemingly the more practical circumstances like their physical comfort? Do we, as Peter said, say, uh, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, find our faith more precious than gold? Do we present faith in Jesus as more precious than wealth itself to others and seek faith out in others as such? Or do we live in a way with others that say, well, faith will come at some point. But for now, we just need to focus on my kids. I need to focus on my spouse. I need to focus on whoever's well-being. We can talk about that Jesus stuff later. We can bring them into this conversation and glory later. I think, sadly, we err on the side of talking about Jesus stuff later and don't see it as such a high priority in people's lives as we would like to admit because we don't really see faith as the victory. We see personal comfort as overcoming the world, and that as victory, not faith. Even though the faith in Jesus, that is the victory that overcomes the world. Not our sinning less, not our getting our lives togetherness, not in our doing good more with othersness, or being more charitable, charitable or even in our serving, or becoming more disciplined in spiritual disciplines. None of those are the victory in this life. Those come from the victory 
but they are not themselves the victory. Believing in Jesus, faith in Jesus is the victory. 1 John 5.4 says, And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Your comfort. No. Our faith. And that should be our concern. For that is the victory that, is over, that, that, that overcomes this world. The questions of do they believe in Jesus? Are they still believing in Jesus? Even if faith is small and it's weak and it's frail, it's hanging on by a thread, and it's all gunky and nasty looking, like the stuff you pull out of your drain, but it's there. If they're still believing in Jesus, that should be our primary concern with others and ourselves, because that's the victory. That is victory. You win. And everything else then flows from that. So is that your primary concern with others? Does your life reflect that concern with others? That's a tough question. Even I have to point all my fingers back at myself. But even I fail at them many of times. But remember, the gospel is good news. Because though our life does not reflect this as much as it should, there is one who lived the life that you could not live and reflected it perfectly for you and me. And his name is Jesus. Your failure in this was met by Christ's perfection. And through reflecting upon that perfection that he has for you, that when God looks upon you and says, perfect, that should spur you on then to begin to value faith in others and say, oh, I want to do that. And moving on. So Paul here then wants to see if they still have faith in Jesus, and he gives reasons as to why, right? And what he says here towards the end is, is mind-blowing and unexpected to me at least, but yet it's always, but yes, it, yet it's really comforting in revealing that Jesus has truly finished it all for us by faith alone in him. But okay, let's get into it. He says here towards the end, for fear that somehow the tempter tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So on the outset, looking at this passage, we see his great concern. He was in fear that the tempter, which is another name for Satan, has tempted these people to walk away from the Christian faith. Paul saw that not only was Satan hindering him from showing up to the Thessalonians, as he said earlier in the letter, but he also attributed all the persecution and hardships going on in these believers' lives as ultimately the work of Satan. Paul took Satan and his works very, very seriously. He saw this fallen angel as having major influence in this world and as God's major opponent. Now, on a side note, right, I have to emphasize this. Satan is not more powerful than God, okay? They're not equally matched, okay? Satan is no match for God. That got, that's got to be clear. If God wanted to, he could obliterate Satan with just a breath or a thought, and then poof, gone. So the question might, you might be thinking, well, why does God let him walk around this world blinding men's hearts, as it says in 2 Corinthians 4.4? 4? I'll read it to you. 
It says, in their case, the God, lowercase g, meaning fake God, referring to Satan, of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keeping them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. So why does God let him do this and keep men from seeing Christ and deal with temptations and coming after us? I don't know. But what I do know is that God has revealed in Scripture that everything he does is for his own glory and that he is sovereign over everything. There are no oops moments with God. Like, I didn't see that. He knows and plans and ordains. Romans 11, 33 Romans 11, 33 through 36 says this, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So though Satan is no match then to God, know this us back. Know that he is a match for mankind. He's a match for you. Mankind is not more powerful than Satan as to not be influenced through his ways or captured by his temptations. So what in the world are we to do about that then? If we're no match for him? Well, Paul reveals the very answer for us. The greatest blow that you, can, that you have against Satan the greatest attack that we have upon his evil kingdom is what Paul's very concern was for these Thessalonians, their faith in Jesus. Our greatest weapon is faith in Christ and his finished works on our behalf. So this means then we don't need to commit ourselves to weeding out Satan from our life and this world. You can't, and you're not strong enough to. Sorry, newsflash. But Christ can, and he does, through our faith in him. Our concern as Christians, then, is trusting in Jesus and helping others do the same, despite Satan's attacks and his temptations through whatever means. We live from the victory Christ has already won against Satan, all by continuing to have faith in Jesus. So keep faith in Jesus and promote it in others. Okay, now that we've got point one covered. One more thing that I want to bring to light from this passage, and this is the perplexing part, this is the unexpected part, and yet also the most comforting aspect that it is truly finished for us in Christ, all by faith alone. This point reveals that even in our failures, we are just given grace upon grace, that this gospel truly is good news for you and me. This brings us to our last point of what is most important in the Christian life. Freely admitting your weakness. Now, looking at this verse, look at the wording, okay? When I, this is Paul referring to himself now, okay? He's talking about him here. When I could not, when I could no longer bear it, no longer bear it at all, Right? So what could he no longer bear? What was he worried about? What was creating a feeling of unease that's keeping him up at night? That's consuming his thoughts. And I can't bear it anymore. I can't do this. It was this, that somehow the tempter had tempted you, he says, 
But listen to what he says next. This is the main issue here. And our labor would be in vain. Paul is saying he's doubting his work in the Lord amongst these people. The word vain means empty, empty, useless, pointless. That all the labor of pain and suffering that they went through was for naught. He was worried and doubting that somehow these people didn't have a genuine faith so that his work in the Lord was useless. Or to be more blunt, he's saying and revealing something that he was falling, that he was falling into the fear and worry and doubt that the ministry he did was all for naught in Thessalonica. That word vain is a very strong word. It wasn't just kinda, it was like, this is my biggest concern. That, and that being uh, in vain, this is what was causing the issues in his mind to heart, in his mind and heart to worry. Yet, this was coming from the very same guy who said in 1 Corinthians 15, 18, of course, later, he wrote that a lot later, knowing, this is what he says in 1 15, 18 of 1 Corinthians, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Or Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those called according to his purpose, which includes... The work in the Lord is always being meaningful for good. It's never in vain. So then we see something here about Paul in verse 5. He's admitting his weakness. He's admitting his weakness of doubt of his work in the Lord. He struggles with seeing it as useless with them. Paul here is saying he was living in doubt and not in confidence of the Lord's work, of the Lord's work through him here. Which is mind-blowing to me. That Paul admits this as a pinnacle leader of the church at the time. He was an apostle, the highest office in the church. But yet at the same time, it's so freeing to me to see this, because remember, the gospel has truly freed him. So he was free to admit such weakness. For his strength and reputation was not found in him, but in Christ. See, we forget that Paul was human. We make him like this sinless dude, like Jesus. But he sinned just like everybody else. Just because he was an apostle didn't mean he sinned. It didn't mean he didn't have doubt. It didn't mean he didn't have worry. It didn't mean that he didn't have fear at times, just like the rest of us. I mean, he even doubted his own ministry at times, that he, what he was called to do. That can't be denied from this passage. That's what he was, in wor he was worried about this. So the question, why point this out? Why point out Paul's weakness of worry and doubt of the Lord's work in Thessalonica? Well, for this reason. Because it shows how great and vast and unending the grace of God is to sinners. For we see here that the apostle straight up doubted the very work the Lord called him to do. And yet, God did not abandon him or remove his blessings from him. Paul, with all his status and responsibility of laying down the faith, was talking about how he was failing to trust in the Lord's work in Thessalonica. And yet, the Lord continued to use him 
despite his weakness, despite his sin of worry. Paul proves that God uses sinful, broken people because sinful, broken people are all that there are. God used him, consequently, to continually plant churches, to write scriptures, to encourage believers, even though he was a sinner himself, which he, was, which he freely admitted. For he had right theology, and yet even times he struggled with it. And he freely stated this in, the te- in, in this text that we see, and he stated it, for example, in Romans 7, verses 18 through 19. You could read that whole chapter of 7, but he says this, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the, ver- but the evil I do not... That is a tongue twister. The, the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, we'll see later on in the following verses, his worry was pointless because in verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians, they were continuing in the faith. It was not in vain. God was and continued to work there through him, just like God had called him to and said he would do. But, that's, but for now, the highlight for you and me is, is that if you have faith in Christ and yet you struggle with worry and you struggle with fear and you struggle with doubt and you struggle with anxiety, you struggle with things that go on in your life that your heart's pumping at night and you can't sleep and you have to think of other things, keep the TV on to help you sleep at night because you can't let your mind focus, don't think yourself any less of a Christian. But understand, God loves you no matter what. And truly, all your sins have been forgiven. And you can and will be used by God even with your sins. For his son has fulfilled all the laws for you. Perfect obedience, perfect faithfulness, perfect boldness, perfect love, perfect joy, perfect service, perfect commitment to the work of God's kingdom. It's finished in Christ over you by faith in him. And you can rest in that. For you and I have to trust in him. That's it. And he will work through our sins to bring out his glory in us. Paul does say in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your strength, in your rightness, in your put-togetherness, in your goodness, in your sinninglessness. No, my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, it is when we admit we are failures and sinners to God and live that way that the power of God then is magnified and displayed in us. Just like it was in Paul who struggled with worry and thought his work was in vain at times. God used him mightily in his weakness to bless and uplift people around him in the Lord just like Paul is doing now with us through this letter. He proves that God loves sinners, and he uses sinners for his glory despite their sin. So it is with us then. The more we confess our sin to the Lord, admitting we can do nothing without him, admitting we are nothing without him, we too become mightily used of him to the people around us. For truly, it's finished in Christ all by faith in him. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, thank you for the wonder of your gospel. Thank you for the wonder of knowing that your son has accomplished everything for us. God, I pray 
for all of us, those who struggle with worry, who struggle with anxiety, who struggle with, with just fear, the fear of even our own sins, maybe the fear of our anger to know that what's there, it's hidden, and we don't know what to do with it. The fear of, of worrying what other people may think, the fear of, of, of relationships that we have that are broken and we don't know how to deal with it. God, help us know and remember that we are truly forgiven in your Son. And that as we go to you with our problems, you can handle it. You're not there to beat us up. You're there to comfort us in your love. Remind us that you sent your Son because we are failures. We are sinners. Help us to grow more mature in our faith by realizing how weak we are and how strong and how amazing your grace is, that it truly covers all sin. And God, I pray if someone doesn't know you here today, that today be the day that they realize they are a sinner in need of grace, and they turn to you and trust in you and say, I love and I need Jesus. We pray this in your son's name.